0: Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote.
1: Welcome. Into footnotes, Kevin Foote on the game, broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcasts on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. 337 706 one one on a what in the world is going on Thursday edition of footnotes. Like again, losing is one thing. Winning is one thing, but acting like acting like a bunch of losers has got to stop. Like over the weekend in Cleveland, You know, the Friday game was just a crazy game. There were a couple defensive plays that if made, they would have won the game. But I didn't really blame it on that. Well, on Saturday, they win the game. The one game they won in Cleveland. At the end of they had the lead. And at the end, they start acting like the bad news bears. Throwing like... Bregman makes an error and does it is even hard to give any effort to get to catch the ball. They're missing play. I mean like what in the, and and then last night, I mean that was a clown show. Last night was a clown show. Like what is going on? All of a sudden this team that has won as many games as anyone, they're they're going through this stretch where I mean, again, they look like the bad news bears. Like all of a sudden they don't know how to close out a game. I mean, it's one thing if you get lit. Like Bregman get Bregman tried to lose the game single handedly last night. You're up four to one. You got a chance to deliver the coup de gras. I think it was runners on the corners. I don't think the bases were loaded. But anyway, you had a runner on third for sure and a runner on first for sure. One out. Just give me a sack fly. The game's probably over. And the game should be over anyway. And, of course, what does he do? He grounds into a double play. And then in the ninth inning, they hit a routine ground ball right at him, and he throws the ball to Beaumont. Like, what was he doing? I mean, it's one thing to throw the ball in the dirt and the first baseman don't scoop it. Y'all mean couldn't have caught that ball. What was he doing? Like, literally, I mean, it's like he was trying to throw it into the stands and he didn't throw it far enough. That was awful. I mean, I don't like errors, but that, that was worse than an error. Like, you cannot make a throw that bad. I've never seen him make a throw that bad. Now, I've seen him throw it up the line where you hold on to the ball too long and you yank it. That ball was, I mean, it's like he was trying to throw it to Beaumont. He didn't get enough on it. Awful. And then Ryan Presley, he gets it, you know, he – it should have been one out, nobody on, and then they give up gives up a few hits, and then they hit a ball to him. I mean, you got to multi- throw to set first base. Pitchers don't know how to throw to bases, especially relief pitchers, and he it doesn't even close to come close to throwing it. Just tries to throw it. Just throw it to first base, cat. And get the second out. They score a run. You still have the lead. It's two outs and nobody on. He tries to turn around and throw it to the plate. I don't even know did it. May, I don't even know if it made it to the batter's box. Like he, he. I mean, if you gave him the whole batter's box, that he wouldn't. Have, that cat would be terrible at curling. What was that? And then. Some kind of way, after all that bad news bears junk, they 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 get out of the inning with the game tied. Uh icky gets a leadoff single. Good job, Icky. Abreu gets a single, lucky, but it was a single. And then you get runners on the corners. And one out, all you got to do is put the ball in play in the outfield and you win. So, guess who's up? I'm about get ready because I'm about to do something stupid is up. So, they throw a couple fastballs right over the plate. I was surprised how many good pitches he saw. And, of course, he fouled those off. Then he swings at a ball up and in, hits a double play ball to short. That's not what you need right there. You don't need a double play ball to short. So they come to the plate. They get it out. He should have been out at first. He'd have been out by about a half a step and it hits the guy in the helmet. I mean, I doubt it. I doubt it did him, his head. You know, I doubt it. He did any damage to his head because I don't know really what's going on in there anyway. Hits him in the head from behind. Now. I've said, not jokingly, it's just real. Like, people have tried to explain icing in hockey and offsides in soccer to me, and I understand in principle, but I just can't grasp it. In baseball, a sport that I know way, way better, I will never understand the interference call
2: at first. I I said the same thing on this I will never understand it. It doesn't make any sense at all. And, like... Again, I, I, I was talking. I, I mentioned this to Raymond. Do people know that the right-handed batter like doesn't start on the baseline, like because you're in the right-handed batter's box, and you have you can, and unless you took if you turned to your right, took a step like a robot, then turned around and ran up the baseline. Then I guess you could be on the baseline the whole time. Other than that, you have to migrate your way over to the baseline as you're running up the base because by the way you're also trying to beat out a ground ball. But
1: I've all, uh, but I've seen interference call when the guy's right on the line. Yeah. Like I don't understand the rule. I don't either.
2: I'm I don't right think it me. makes any sense the rule. I don't think so either. And again it's like you're establishing your your own baseline they say too which still doesn't make any sense to me. If they want to make it really like less complicated, which it's still I don't know. You the, the still issue is that the the right-handed batter has to get over there. But you could do the softball extra base thing that they're going to do in softball pretty soon when you have two bases and one's for the runner and one's for the fielder. And then that way, if they're in the fielder's line, then they know they weren't in their own line. But then you still, again, a right-handed batter is now going to have to go even farther than he would have had to go. So I, I still think
1: a good first baseman makes that play. And they would have probably lost the game. Well, who knows? would. I mean, that was clown show stuff. Like they've got to stop this. Like, injuries are one thing. Pedro Grande's gonna be out for another month or so. And again, I don't do I like it? No, I don't like when Astros, one of their best players, are out. But as long as he comes back, it, it shouldn't be that big of a deal. You know, that's part of it. Uh, you know, you just move you like like they say, teamwork makes the dream work. I don't think. It's mere coincidence. Some people will say it. I don't think it's mere coincidence that the second El Pedro Grande went on the IL, Jose Abreu started hitting. By the way, does that count what he did last night? I said I wanted, on this homestand, I wanted two Crawford Boxes home runs. When you hit it over the track, over the Crawford Boxes, onto the train track, I don't know if that counts as one. We're going to have to get a ruling on that. That cat hit it on the train track. But it's been some long home runs hit it, men and made in the last week or so. Balls on the train track. It was, um, and again, in Cleveland, I know he hit two home runs in Cleveland, but he hit another one that went foul that was way farther than the two that he hit. Like, he crushed it. It just went foul. But it was way like upper deck shawls. So, again, it could happen. And a guy like me, who's a glass half full kind of a fan, it could turn out if he comes back. Now, again, he has to come back, El Pedro Grande. He can't pull a Brantley. Because last year at this time, oh, Brantley's going to come back at the All-Star break. Well, he ain't played yet. He still hasn't played. Forget all-star break. Brantley still hasn't played. So if he becomes a Brantley situation, then there's nothing good about it. But as long as he comes back in late July, okay. I mean, you know, does it make it a little more difficult because you when you lose your best hitter and one of the best hitters in the game? Of course it does. But that you got to be able to do that. But you can't be acting like the bad news bears. That is awful. What happened last night? Terrible. They got to stop trying to give games away because they—they're like it. They, they look like they look like the Astros from like 2011 in the last five games, where they're scared to death to win a game instead of well, we know how to win. We're just gonna get this done. Like, what in the world are they doing? Playing bad and not hitting is one thing, but just throwing the ball all around the infield when it's the last inning, like acting like you're scared to death to win a game, is ridiculous. That's got to stop. But you know that's part of a team. Jose Abreu—it was time for him to step up. He's been awful. Everyone's trying to get rid of him. I don't. I, I just can't. I. I just. I just said there's no way he's that bad. I mean, there's just no way. I just have not bought all the negativity I keep hearing. So El Perro goes down. All of a sudden, Jose Abreu's the hitter you thought you had. So if El Perro Grande comes back four or five weeks from now, this could actually be a good thing for the Astros. could actually end up being a really good thing for the Astros. If Abreu becomes Abreu during this spell. In the end, could be a good thing, but of course you got to – They can't. They got to start. They need to win this game tonight. Javier blew the last game that he pitched. He blew it. The game of five run lead. He got lit by an awful offensive team. Got lit by an awful offensive team. So uh, that that Friday loss was on him in my mind, and Bregman. He tried to beat a goat last night. He just tried to give the game away. I don't know what he was doing. That needs to stop happening. Like, come on, I just, again, you're not going to hit at times. You're going to get hit at times. That, that, that That's baseball. But nothing in baseball says, especially when you're a team with this pedigree, I got to throw the ball in the stands on a routine grounder. That's stupid. That's just stupid. That needs to stop throwing the ball all over the infield. In the the last inning. They all say, act like you've been there before. Well, act like you've been there before. Because we've all seen you've been there for the last eight years. Like, there's no reason to act like clowns all of a sudden. That needs to stop. We'll take a timeout and be back.
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel, At The Game Louisiana. That way, you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome
1: back. Two footnotes, Kevin Foote on the game. The game hotline is 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. We are um, obviously waiting the start of the College World Series in Omaha tomorrow. We are, the U.S. Open is going to be going on starting, well, I'm sure it's already started today. Today. Well, it's on the Flake Coast, so has it actually started yet? It started at about 840, yes. Okay. Um, Before we get into the college football thing that we said we were going to talk about, I I heard someone talking about this subject. Earlier I talked about something that I never really got, even though theoretically I could understand it, but I've never really been able to grasp it. Betting on baseball has never made much sense to me. The whole idea of betting on golf just seems... Now, I know betting is so... almost infinitely more intricate than what betting was, you know, my concept of betting 40 years ago. All of these. But betting on golf... It just seems, like, really fascinating almost. Like, I know we all think, it used to drive me crazy, and I've said this before, when when Tiger was in his prime, everybody, you take Tiger over the field, and, and to me, that just was a, a total slap in the face to the game of golf. But, I mean, there's probably 40 or 50 guys that could win this tournament. Like, we don't know, really. Now, yes. some are way better than others, I get it, but.
2: Right. I mean, it's similar to NASCAR betting, like, because, uh, you know, even your favorites are still going to be plus 400, plus 500 type odds, especially at some of the super speedways that are more unpredictable, maybe some of the different tracks. But, I mean, you, you've got some pretty significant favorites, and, like, we haven't had any major upsets in the majors this year. John Rahm won and Brooks Kepka won, and I think both of those guys were kind of in the top, so... So you, what you, typically you bet them to
1: finish to either win or finish like top 10 or yeah. something?
2: Yeah, and I think – and look, I'm not – and I've told you too, I'm not really into the betting thing, but I know that that's a popular thing is to get – is to place guys in top 20 because that's also – you talk about, yeah, it's very difficult to just pick the winner of the tournament. Even if you took Scotty Scheffler, the favorite, like, yeah, there's a very good chance he doesn't win. But if you took guys in – you know, you then combine, oh, this guy to finish in the top 20, this guy to finish in the top 20, this guy to finish in the top, 20, to in the top 10 – then you can kind of place things that are more strategic. So you might
1: pick three guys, like the old. Is it kind of like the old lay like you would yeah. pick, you know, five base, you know, football games, and if you hit all five, then you make money. Yeah,
2: a lot of them are like that. You'll you'll pick, you know, let's say these three guys to all make the to all make the top twenty. You could even mix in a couple of like guys who are farther back just to make the cut. You could have that as well because in the U.S. Open, a ton of guys are going to get cut because the field is so big. Um, but I will say this: if you were to give me I wouldn't just, obviously, if it was, okay, Scotty Scheffler of the field or, or Brooks Kepka of the field, I would take the field. But if you gave me a combination of Scotty Scheffler, Brooks Kepka, John Rahm, and then maybe a couple other guys at the top, like Justin Thomas and Max Home or something like that, I'm, I might just take those five guys because they're like Scheffler, Rahm, and Kepka are playing at a kind of a different level right now. Okay, so
1: whoever that top three and top five are, those are who I'm rooting against. I'm rooting for everyone else.
2: Okay, no, then. Good like who, who who are the three Ben Vaguins just like it's, Kep- it's Scotty Kep- Scheffler, Brooks Kepko, and John Raw. And Raw. Okay. And next would be um, I would have to look, but some the guy that group that has like Patrick Cantlay and and Rory probably in there somewhere. Um Justin Thomas, those types of guys. Just seems like, man, so many options. Yeah, no, and look, my favorite golfer and the guy I've always rooted for is Ricky Fowler, and he's actually kind of made a resurgence, but he still never won a major, and he's nowhere near, like, the top of the betting odds. He's somewhere in the middle of the pack. but So, yeah, I mean, I'm with you. I won't be rooting for those guys. but I don't really follow
1: golf like I did, you know, 30 and 40 years ago anymore. But who, besides that top group, who's the best chipper and putter?
2: Uh, Jordan Spieth's short game is really, really good. Now his putting is but, but he don't he little... hit it far enough huh? No, well and and he's always he's kind of been errant off the tee. Now he's hitting it a little straighter. The reports are that he's he's driving it a little better, but he doesn't have a ton of length, so I don't know. I I don't feel very good about Jordan Spieth's chances. Now the other the interesting thing is you talk about short game like Scotty Scheffler, the only question mark for him is putting cuz like tee to green he's the best in the world and it's not close but his putting's been very inconsistent so well that's
1: not good for the open then
2: yeah and we'll see now he's been hot and cold so if he has a good week with the on the putting greens he's going to be the favorite but again if he doesn't putt well then yeah you you can lose this thing in a hurry
1: all right so we'll, we'll we'll see how that plays out all right so the more i think about like i'm looking at a lot of these college football coaches it's just it's strange to me um, I kind of feel like some of the more underrated coaches. When you look at some of these list, like coaches that I thought for sure I would consider like top ten, they have like ranked fifty and stuff, like fifty. Like I, I, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of strange, you know, how coaching careers in college football or um, kind of being interpreted. Like last week in the NBA, Eric Spolcher was a guy. He's still kind of young. He's got a couple titles. He hasn't coached as long as some of the other guys. And and, and Kirby Smart's kind of in that deal. Like, Like he hasn't really coached long enough. Maybe to, to be – but but what happens if Kirby Smart wins another title here? Like there's not that many coaches that have more than two national titles. They're, 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 you know, like legendary names, Bobby Bowden, Bud Wilkerson, Tom Osborne, none of those guys have more than three titles. So, I mean, it seems like, and I I don't, I can't believe they're going to win it again this year, but that doesn't mean they won't win it next year or, you know, three years from now. If he wins another title in the next three or four years, you'd have to certainly put him pretty high. There's just not a lot of other guys. So do you got some underrated ones from me?
2: Yes, I do. I have a couple. Um... There's a co- And they're definitely from completely opposite sides of, of the spectrum here. I went Bill Snyder, I, and I know he gets some recognition. I just think the job that he did and the longevity of what he did at a program like Kansas State, and, and then coming back out of retirement for a little stretch and kind of making them relevant again there at the end, um, I don't know if he gets talked about amongst the greats. But I think, now I guess, again, when you're talking about titles and things like that is where you might have a difference. But a lot of the guys that I'm going to pick here aren't going to have titles, by the way.
1: By the way, I I want to give you a standing ovation for that. Okay. Like, standing ovation. Like, see, the thing that I used to say, it, it, it you know, I'm not saying if you coach at these, at these big-time programs, that doesn't mean you're a good coach. But I think that there are a lot of coaches who – can win at big time programs, that doesn't necessarily mean they could go to a can. I think it's a lot more impressive to go someplace where there's zero winning tradition and to build that winning tradition. You may not win national titles, but, but the, and the thing that's so impressive about Bill Snyder is not only did he build them into a pretty perennial top 10 program, he left, they went back down in the dumps, he comes back as an old man, and he gets him back in the top ten again. Like, that's totally impressive. And that, that to me, is – it's like, Bobby. when Bobby Bowden went to Florida State, Florida State was terrible. They had zero winning tradition. And in no time at all, they were a national power. And they were a national power for two decades. And and the other thing that I always talk about putting stuff through a filter. If Bobby Bowden, if the current system of deciding a national title was around in Bobby Bowden's prime, I think he'd have five or six national titles because this was before your time. But for for years... Florida State would lose one stupid game in September or August. you know that's you know it's just silly and and then they'd be the best team in the country at the end of the year. Well, they got that one loss in August like you can't how can you win anything when you lose one game in August? you know and at the end of the year, no one would want to play them and they were the best I mean this happened at least three or four times, if not more. They'd lose one game early, they'd finish 11-1, and and oh, they're great, but they lost that one game, so they're out. I mean, it's just stupid. And I really think he'd have had five or six national titles
2: if he was coaching in his prime under the current system. I will not argue with uh, all the Florida State love you gave there, but no, it is funny too, and I think... Like I mean, I, I grew up and knew about that era, but it is so funny to think back on the fact that we used to just vote on a champion. Like, it, It's so far against the North American sports model that we have now. The idea of let's just play a game, and then not even, okay, it's not even like the European soccer model where we're just going to play in the best records to champion things. We're just going to play, and then we're going to look at all the records, and then we're just going to vote on who the best team was. And This the dog team, and pony show. I mean, it was crazy. And we did that for what? Like 100 years. Think about it; it's re- it's really out there, and then it, we have years where we have you know we have split titles, and because this publication had this team and this publication had that team, it's it's kind of funny.
1: It's almost sacrilege now, because of his disastrous NFL stint as a head coach. But Urban Meyer, to me, I mean, he's obviously an all-American jerk. I mean, there's just no arguing about that. Like he is, well, but but everyone worships Nick Saban. He's he's an all-American jerk. I mean, um, Urban Meyer won big at three different programs. Like, and and two of them look. Florida is a you know a power program, tons of money and resources, and so is Ohio State. But, but he 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 didn't win national title at Utah, but he made him to a really good program like he he i think he's historically one of the top ten coaches ever, but i mean his all his record is what one eighty seven and thirty two he's got three national titles again, very few coaches have more than three national titles ever, and so very few and so He's like tremendous, but he's got—he's like tarnished because he's a jerk. I mean, just—I mean, he's just his NFL career is 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 really messing him up. But I'm—I'm—we when you get to your one or two others that you have, but I'm—I'm I'm very impressed with your with your bills. See, we don't agree on a lot of things, but the way we view college, I think, is very similar. So. We agree on some things. We'll take a time out and be back.
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 337-706-0111. 337-706-0111 on this Thursday. I'm, Astros won last night, and win or lose, when you, when you clown show it up for the, what, second, you could argue third time in the last five or six, in the last week. I mean like that's just got to stop. So I'm I'm not I'm not real happy with that. I know nationally everyone's focusing on El Pedro Grande and him being out and the news that Lance McCullers is not going to be back for the I mean I, that is a lot. I mean you you have got when when tra- when spring training opened you knew that McCullers wasn't going to be there but you thought he would be back around June. At least that's what the thought process was. You obviously thought you'd have Luis Garcia, so now you have two of your, I guess you would consider, top six pitchers gone, and a third one, and Urquidy has been, you know, out for a long time, and we'll, I guess he's going to come back around the All-Star break, but that's a guess. And remember, he was kind of the odd guy out at the end of last season. So we keep hearing that the talk about They're gonna get another bat. They're gonna get another bat, and maybe they will get another bat. But I, st- without McCullers and without Garcia, and with Arcidi injured out for a long time, not knowing—I mean, you can you can't just assume he's gonna come back and not re-injure. I don't know. I don't know how susceptible he is to re-injury with the injury that he's got it seems like it's some sort of like rib cage or or something injury um seems like you got to pick up a starting pitcher and I don't know who that would be and I mean who knows I mean what mediocre to pretty good starting pitcher wants to come and get their their career rejuvenated or on the fast track. Like, you know, it seems like every time the Astros pick up a pitcher, if they were pretty good, like Gary Cole, then they become great. And if they were kind of eh, like Morton, then they become, you know, really good. So I don't know which pitcher wants to come and try to speed up their career. But, uh, you know, they might have to do that now. But, um, of course, if you don't play defense – And your bullpen acts silly, like Presley's been doing lately? Well, it doesn't matter. Again, you know, last night, perfect example. Mets, Yankees. What was all the talk about? Garrett Cole versus Justin Verlander. Get to the seventh inning? Where are they? The game ain't over. Where you going? Where you at? They gone. So you go ten innings, and those two guys aren't even around anywhere near deciding the game. Not saying it's not important to have good starting pitching because I believe in starting pitching. I believe in pitchers going seven and eight innings. But and I because I you know I I, five inning pitchers drive me crazy. Not a big fan of five inning pitchers, especially in the postseason. But you you know. Yeah, you need good starting pitching, no question. Uh you know, it's all a team thing. But you got to you got to have the bullpen and you got to be able to play defense because if you don't play defense and you consistently give the other team four and five outs, then, you know, it doesn't it's not going to matter how good your pitching is. So that needs to. And by the way, Abreu's been playing better defensively. He's made some good plays. Like early on, he had he had some really bad-looking errors. Lately, he's made some plays, and he's made plays with two outs. I know some people probably – to me, if you – to me, it's more pressure on you if there's two outs and runners in scoring position to make a good defensive play than there is when there's – a leadoff batter's up, and there's nobody in run in scoring position. He's made some nice plays with two outs and runners in scoring position to end innings. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I've, you know, encouraged with that part of it, and certainly like um, all the hard hitting he's been doing, and hopefully can, uh, you know, again, I will, I'll have a blast, and I, I'm a, I'm as big, you know, I love Josh Fields Day more than anyone. I mean. We invented Josh Fields Day on this show, but and I'm going to miss Josh Fields Day over the next. You know, every once in a while you got to celebrate Josh Fields Day, but we're not going to be able to do that over the next five, five or six weeks. That's all. As long as he comes back, that's fine. The next Josh Fields Day is going to be a, a. If it's in like early, late July or early August, it's going to maybe on my birthday, August second, we can have a nice Josh Fields Day. That'll feel really, really good. But um, I I will love if um, it, while he's gone, if Jose Abreu comes through and hits, I think I will actually enjoy that more than watching El Pedro Grande hit. And believe me, El Pedro Grande, I think I enjoy watching him hit more than any Astro hitter since, like, Moises Alou. Man, Moises Alou was good. That can't get hit. And I, you know, I love Bijou and Bagwell. And Berkman, well, Berkman would be the answer. Since Berkman. I I, I, I really enjoy watching El Perro Grande. But I will enjoy what it means for the team if Abreu can have a hot month and, and kind of just bridge the gap. That would be tremendous. That's what a team is all about. Team. Well, people hate teams today. They love individuals. It's unbelievable to me. All right, you got another underrated coach for me?
2: Yeah, it's it's largely the same theme of the of the first one. Then the last one will be different. Um, it's Frank Beamer, and, and I think like I, I know I don't know but underrated again is kind of a subjective term. I think the way it ended probably kind of soured some people's view of it. But the run that Virginia Tech was on in in the mid two thousands is I mean pretty unbelievable. Eight consecutive ten win seasons. Frank Beamer never had a losing season from 1993 until he retired. I mean, that's pretty and, – and that was 2015, his last year. So, I mean, just that level of consistency, again, a program that, you know, look, had some history but not much in football and turned them into a perennial power and they had a run there. I mean, the bowl games that they went to from 04 to 2011, Sugar, Gator, Chick-fil-A Bowl, Orange Bowl twice in a row, Peach Bowl, Orange Bowl, Sugar Bowl. I mean, they were in – the big time games every single year for a stretch of eight years there.
1: No, I, I I I have a lot of respect for him. And he's one of those guys he he coached and he hung his hat on a certain way of doing things and and, and they won a lot of games that way. What about Lavelle Edwards? Look, also before a lot of that's before your time, but you know, and look, I was as harsh a critic when 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 BYU won the national championship in '84, with Robbie Bosco and that group, I, I was as harsh as critic as anyone. Like they, if I remember correctly, they beat like a six and five team in a bowl game, and they won the national championship. I thought that was silly. I agree, but I still have been very impressed. I don't think he's like a top ten coach of all time, but I think he's underrated because, you know, obviously there's some limitations to recruiting to BYU. And as good as he was, and and he was kind of ahead of his time in a lot of what he did. I think he's an underrated coach. I also think this is another guy. Man, look, I've always kind of liked. I've always liked Ohio State's one of the teams that I've liked because I, you know, they, they're you know, they're beautiful uniforms. I, I love the Ohio, you know, the Archie Griffin, Cornelius Green teams, and and you know, I even like. But but Ohio State's got some scoundrels. <laughs> I mean. Man, was our, our, our man Art Schleser like Woody Hayes, I like, but that cat was something now. Woody Hayes, he's credited with five. And Urban Meyer, who we just talked about, that cat, that cat was an all-American jerk. And a lot of people, the got next guy I'm going to bring up, Jim Trestle. Jim Tressel Trestle won four one AA national titles in Corman Policy's Mafia Town of Youngstown. And one national title and one of the great upsets, some people say was the most talented college football team of all time when he was at, when they beat Miami when he was at Ohio State and uh he's got he had 229 wins, 79 losses. I think I know I know some people just look down on one aa football. I guess I get that to a certain extent, but I, I do think he's an underrated coach when you look at the totality of his career.
2: Yeah, no, and you mentioned kind of the history with Ohio State coaches. When you first search, which I did, Jim Trussell, you get an article called The Five Biggest Scandals in His Ohio State Coaching Tenure. So, yeah, no, there was always something going on at Ohio State off the field. but uh, Man. On, sometimes on it. But,
1: them cats like to push the envelope. But they win. <laughs> no, they, 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 you know, and look. As a Saints fan, I got the ultimate appreciation for How State, the history of that school. And, look, I, I liked Woody Hayes, but, I mean, he was some bad cat. Unbelievable. All right, we'll take a timeout and be back.
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The cheaters. Cheaters. The famed hated rival that beat the New Orleans Saints and others so many times in the 80s and 90s by cheating. Also known as the San Francisco 49ers. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes.
1: Welcome back. Two footnotes, Kevin Foote. On the game. Again, the game hotline. 706-0111. 706-0111. All right. Tomorrow on the show, I'm gonna do we're gonna do something that those of you who have been listening to me for a long time, we used to do, I don't know when was the last. I used to do this every year. Eh, might do it. Might have been two or three years since I've done it. And what I do, what I do is combine all of the teams in the College World Series as in, as if they were a rotisserie baseball league, the old school way of doing rotisserie baseball. And you get five categories on the pitching side, five categories on the hitting side. And if, you know, if you If you have the best, you get eight points. If you're second best in that category, you get seven all the way down. And then you combine them and you get their total points, like we used to do old school rotisserie baseball. Um, And most of the time, you know, I don't have the numbers, but most of the time, the team in the, the winner came from the team in the top three or four. Like, and usually it shows a, I mean, you know, like the old line, stats are like a bikini; they show a lot, but they don't show everything. But it, 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 it's th- there's normally a huge gap. You know, there's normally a huge gap between what we call the haves and the have-nots there. And so, uh, well, um, I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to do it. My plan is before tomorrow's show, and so on the day that the College World Series play actually begins. We'll, We'll look at – get just have a statistical view of things. Again, it doesn't – I don't even I, – I mean, I don't know that – have you made a prediction? I don't even know that – I haven't made a prediction. Maybe about no. tomorrow I'll make a prediction.
2: Not definitively, no, I haven't. I, I
1: have tell you what, the I'm Todd going. Walker prediction is starting to make me wonder.
2: Yeah. I mean – It devolves. Yeah, I just don't know if – like – I struggle to think all their guys, because they do have a lot of pitching depth, but a lot of those guys are kind of volatile, and I struggle to think all of them are going to pitch well in the World Series and that when one of them doesn't, they have enough offense to get through it. I think that's the difference with LSU and Virginia and Florida. I don't wor- I know some of their guys aren't going to end and Wake as well. I know some of their pitchers are going to have off days, but I think they have enough offense to score enough when those games happen. For the most part, I just don't know if Tennessee can do that. But we'll see. Uh, they, they they hit the ball well against Southern Miss in the last two games. But then again, it was one inning in the second game. And then they, they scored well in the third game. But first game, they didn't swing the bats well. Second game, eight out of the nine innings, they didn't. So that's why I just worry about Tennessee. I mean, outcomes. I
1: don't really think I can pull the trigger on them. I mean, Wake Forest looks, again, great on paper, but... They're the number one seed, and I don't know that I'm going to pick a number one seed until one wins one. I mean, it's been since 1990. That is a long time. Like, if it was 10 years, that would be – but it's like 24 – what is that? 24 years now. That's a long time. The man dismisses that concept. He just dismisses
2: it. Well, again, like, there's There's got to be something to that. And I, My logic to that is that in most years, I think there's not a huge difference between the number one seed and the number two and three and four and five. And since numbers, again, like you talk about the U.S. Open field, well, there's eight teams there and only one of them could be the number one seed. And that's assuming the number one seed even gets to Omaha. Um, I think this is a I think there's a bigger gap between the ability for Wake to be a complete team compared to the rest of the field. But Florida and potentially LSU and have way more firepower at the top than than Wake does as far as draft type player best players overall. Like Dylan Cruz is the best position player in this tournament. Wyatt Langford could be an argument for the second best player in, in this tournament position player. Paul Skeens is the best pitcher in the tournament. And like Wake doesn't have any of those guys. So I can understand the idea of feeling like those guys are the ones that show up in these types of moments. So that's 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 my big argument against them is like the true legit best players in the country. Now you could certainly make an argument for Rhett Louder being right there in the conversation on the mound, but I don't know if they have that position player that's like, okay, we have no doubt in our mind that guy is the guy.
1: All right. So before I do it, you expect who do you expect to be one, two, and three? In the statistical comparison.
2: And so this is you'd have to explain the format a little bit more
1: Yeah, five five hitting categories, five pitching
2: categories. Like, you know, ERA. Right strikeouts, fewest walks. And you it's know. the team that has won the most categories or the team that's consistently... That has the most points. Points, okay. Yeah. Um. Wake will be there. And this is not opponent adjusted, right? No, this is so just pure or, Oral stats. Roberts will be in. Oral Roberts will be there. Wake will be there. And you mean Virginia... So you know, I well, kind of
1: think I've, I I kind of think Wake Forest. It might be Florida over Virginia. Yeah, I kind of think Wake Forest and Florida will be one and two. I'll go is what Wake, I'm yeah, Guessing.
2: I'll go, I'll go Wake Forest one, Oral Roberts two, Florida three. Man, you think Oral Roberts will be that? The numbers are crazy, but again, that's not opponent adjusted.
1: No, that that's fair. That's fair. Well, it'll be interesting to see for sure. I always enjoy doing it, so I don't think we did it last year. I hope things work out where I can do it again. One hour to out, another hour to follow. Stay tuned.
0: Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot.
1: Welcome. Back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette, EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcasts on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline, 337-706-0111, 337-706-0111. We've talked a little bit about the Astros clown show victory last night. I don't know if you saw the ninth inning. It was just awful. Like, and again, if it was just a one-time thing, but it's kind of the third time in the last week. Like, really more. When you go back to the Toronto series, all of a sudden it's like they don't know how to close out a game anymore. That's gotta stop. And so we'll uh we talked about that. Um, if you want to talk about The U.S. Open or give us a prediction. We discussed that a little bit. College baseball, College World Series starts tomorrow. Any thoughts you have on that? And we've been talking about college football coaches. More talking about the underrated coaches, but we'll talk about some on the other side as well for the sometime at this hour or tomorrow. So let's go to the game hotline. Hello.
3: Good morning. Good morning, sir. Kevin, you know, I want to uh, throw two comparisons at you. Like, you've got the U.S. Open starting this weekend, and over the, the history of the U.S. Open, I mean most of all debate. Well, it's the U.S. Open. I'm going to stick with that one. Because the, the way the, source, the the course was set up, you always seen the best players rise to the top, and it, it kind of like weeds out the players that are not the best. Is that correct?
1: Theoretically, yes, sir.
3: And it happens more often. Now, The analogy I'm going to give to you is the opposite when we're going to talk about college baseball World Series. Every year we go into this thing, and we always talking about the top two or three teams. These are going to be the guys there. This is going to happen. How many times does that pan out? Not all. Well, I still
1: think, I got to think the majority of the time, the team that wins it's in the top three favorites. You don't think?
3: Not well, Kevin, there might be one there, but there's there's gonna be at least one or two surprises. They're gonna be uh, they're gonna win the first game, or might even be two and zero. Now, they might get two and zero, and get, get a, the better team might come back, beat them twice later on. But it happens every year. Every year it happens. we always looking at the, after the first week. It, oh God, I didn't think they'd be two and zero. Man, you know what I mean? And, and it it just happens. I don't know why. I can't explain it. Maybe because it's just
1: baseball. Well, yeah, baseball has a lot to do with it, no question. And again, it's a—I think this ballpark is unlike most ballparks that they play at. And we talked about that a few days ago. I mean, I think pitching—I think it'd be teams that just win with a bunch of homers. I mean, they have to earn it a little more than than, than all the little cheap homers they got during the season.
3: That's probably another reason why that yeah. what happens? To happen. But you know. Going back, Dawson came back on me about that uh, that, that number two pitcher for Wake Forest. And Dawson, I'm not saying he's not good, you know. But as a freshman, he was really horrific. And I, the, the problem with him was his last year, basically in between his ears, you know, he didn't have the mental capacity, or he would just, you know, couldn't handle the big situation. Well, I saw that that, that reflection in the mirror, what he was looking at uh, in the super regional. I'm just telling you, he's got good talent. But if it's be whoever's going to be when he pitches in front of that big stage, he is gonna he's not going to have a good game. I just something I saw about that kid.
1: Well, it'll be interesting. Yeah, we
3: will see. And we'll see, Bella. Y'all have a good day.
1: And theoretically, if they both win, he'll pitch against LSU. Theoretically, right?
2: Yeah. no, they waked on a little bit since they have so many options. It hasn't quite been like concrete. Um, but the theoretically, yes, that's the theory.
1: It'll make it it'll make it'll make it interesting. I, you know, again, whether it's a popcorn park or a park where you really have to crush it to get it out, you still don't want to walk people. And so I, I still think staying away from the walks and making teams earn their runs and not give it to them with walks and wild pitches and hit batsmen, the freebies as coach, Tags always talks about. Uh, I think it's is is going to be important, and and that's really the only thing that's keeping me. Like you say, well, why wouldn't you pick LSU? It's because they just they've done too much of that. Given the freebie stuff, I mean, I just think it's going to be a lot harder in Omaha if they give up too many freebies, too many hit batsmen, too many walks, and um, it's going to be. It's gonna be harder to overcome that than 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 it was in, you know, just normal games, especially in home games. So in and, and in other popcorn parks around the SEC. So I we'll see how it plays out. No, I, I, I think it's gonna be a fascinating college world series because of what we talked about yesterday. You have some powerhouse favorites. With enormous talent, you have the ultimate Cinderella and an Oral Roberts, a 4C. And then you got the surge late hot team like TCU. Uh, And then you got, you know, the old veteran, you know, Stanford. I don't know how many times they've been to the World Series, but it's been a lot of times. Um, And so you've got a good cross-section of different teams that – kind of you could kind of make an argument for it, you know that that makes it fun uh, i think i, th- I think it's going to be should be a great tournament we'll see how it goes now what have we been talking a lot about over the last two weeks we haven't even done it yet have you heard or done it yet what's the weather going to be like
2: um i'll check omaha you know it's dry and i think it's typically dry heat but usually you don't have a ton of rain right. in Omaha. that's a good um, thing So let me get you an updated forecast there. Looks okay. Saturday, we got 60% chance of rain, so might have to dodge that. But Friday uh, is going to be fine, 10%. Sunday's 20%. Early next week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all 20% or less. So maybe have to dodge some stuff on Saturday with LSU potential. That's what I was going to say with LSU playing. Here we go But, again, again, I mean, you know, rain showers in Omaha from – Typical College World Series stuff, you know, you, sh- you should be fun- – even if it rains on Saturday, you should be able to get those. Not the in,
1: same I'm as guess. South Louisiana or Miami.
2: Right. Right.
1: So that's fair. I don't know. Is that the best thing about it, being there? I can't I mean, believe I love that's why history. it's there.
2: I love the history and the tradition. And, again, yeah, I don't I don't know exactly why it began and why it's there. But um, for me, I, I – it's such a part of, like, what I – like, getting to Omaha is just – it's – I don't know how much of it's like actually that it's Omaha or just that it's what it's always been. You know, it would be About weird the if they moved it. it. It would right. just be
1: so bizarre.
2: Yeah, and so I think it's I think it's special, and I think they should. You know, I don't think we should be in a rush to mess up good things, but sometimes we do.
1: Because, um, the in on the softball side, it's not been quite like that. I mean, it's I mean it's Oklahoma City now. But it wasn't – not that long ago it was in Oklahoma City. And so that's kind of
2: – Yeah, and I know – which, I mean, by the way, Jordy Ball made it official that she's going to Nebraska, which I think everyone kind of knew. Yeah. But she did make that official. Um, but I know a lot of people complain about the fact that it's in Oklahoma City. And, and obviously, it, again, it's – it's. I don't know if it – I don't think Oklahoma's dynasty began because the softball World Series went to Oklahoma City. But it is something that every year they get a huge presence there because it's so close. in Oklahoma State – Same thing. They're always really, really good, and so you always have kind of a home field thing, whereas Omaha, you know, I mean, Creighton is over there, but, you know, and they've had a good baseball program, but it's not the same where you have this team that's in Omaha that goes every year. So I know some people have discussed it having a rotating venue so that Oklahoma doesn't have that advantage, but I just don't know if you can make decisions like that, especially with how much money and infrastructure they put into that stadium over there in Oklahoma City. If you make a decision about a current climate of a sport, you know what I mean?
1: I wouldn't I wouldn't think they would want it. I know I wouldn't think they would do that. That 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 would be surprising. It again, I like the relative central location of it because you do have teams coming from California fairly often or Asia or Arizona, you know, the Southwest fairly often. So and then you also have teams coming, you know, from you know, the, the East Coast, the Atlantic. So you got and then you know, obviously the SEC is a huge player in it, as is the big twelve. And so to have it centrally located, but more in the south, the northern teams aren't, you know everyone you know, Michigan was good for years and made it. but no, I, I think those locations are pretty make make sense. It's kind of like at the high school level, kind of narrowing it down. To Louisiana, I always said that the the perfect thing would be, in a perfect world, we would build this giant infrastru- this gi- giant facility somewhere between Opelousas and Alexandria and just play all the state tournaments there. You know, it, it's per- it would be perfectly located kind of in the middle where you could get to it from 49 and 10 and... Um so like I I I like the location of it. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello.
4: Hey, this is Mr. Tom
1: there. Hey, how you doing? Did you see that clown show ninth inning last night? What was that? No, I, I missed it. What happened? Oh, first they up 4 to 1 against the Nationals. The first oh, pit, the first batter to hit a routine ground ball to to Bregman, he decides he thinks he's like in the shot put. Event or something, he tries to throw the ball in the stands. He threw it so far over Brayu's head, it was unbelievable. So then they give Mm. up a couple hits, and they hit it to Presley instead of just going to first and getting it, make it two outs and let the run score and no two outs, nobody on, and just he tries to pivot and throw to the plate. He he throws it like twelve feet too far to the right in the ground, gives him another run, and then they tie the game. It was just clown show stuff.
4: Oh, I mean, I, I I was busy last night, so I'm probably glad I didn't.
1: Oh, that was bad.
4: Oh.
1: But they won. They, they ended up some kind of way they won because um,
4: – The Nationals are really
1: bad. That's well, they're why. struggling. They weren't really bad like a week and a half ago, but they've hardly oh, won yeah. any games since. So I hope the Astros can get another win tonight and then uh, let they can get hot all they want after that. Yeah,
4: that would be nice. But, you know, I'm calling you to – point out a flaw in the in the college world series i'm talking about it on the gambling end if you if you bet all eight of these teams and you bet them appropriately you win money <laughs> you can bet them all and you bet them appropriately
1: now what you do you money. mean by appropriately in other words you put well, a little bit more words, on uh, the better teams
4: courses. Right, Wake Forest is plus three eighty, so you'd have to bet more on Wake Forest, LSU, and two and uh, and Florida. But but the other teams are well over a thousand to one. So you know, if you got lucky or you had a luck, if you bet ten dollars to win on every one of them, you probably will win money. I think you win money on all of them if you bet them all. So it, it just it, it, that those futures are really crazy sometimes because you 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 know you've got a favorite team and they go out so you you don't do anything right so my team all the way through the regionals and super regionals with or- Oral Roberts and y'all have talked about it tonight they they could simply they could hit the ball that's plain and simple they they could be up eight runs and lose they could be up down eight runs and win I mean It's crazy. So remember when in 2015 when Coastal went there, and everybody said, oh, Coastal, they can't win. They're the eighth seed and all that stuff. Well, turns out Coastal had a rubber arm pitcher. You remember the guy pitched about 900 innings. Yeah. And and if, if that happens in the College World Series, if you've done that and you've got a pitcher that can pitch many innings for you, I don't care who you are, you can win. And, and, and the, uh, the discussion about Wake Forest, these guys are good. I don't care what conference they're in. And if you under, undervalue them, and we have to see Wake Forest with Ty Floyd as a pitcher, and their number two, which is really their number one, we're going to be in trouble unless we score some runs. And it's as simple as that.
1: No, I th- I, th- I think you're very correct. It'll be interesting. Ooh. I think a lot of us are going to, probably even even in the Supers, didn't watch or Roberts. So it'll be fun to watch them play.
4: Oh, That'll be fun. TCU can whack the ball. They're there too. And Virginia's one of the best ERA in hitting teams in the country. And Florida, they're good, but they could get beat by Virginia. Simple as that. They could get beat.
1: It's going to be lots it's be of fun. A good,
4: a good series. Eight really good teams in this series.
1: All righty. Enjoy it, sir.
4: <laughs> Thank you very much, Kevin.
1: We'll be back.
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Medicine season. Medicine season. Now. A season in which a college or professional sports team suffers a disappointing season due to injuries or fluky incidents. Also known as paying the piper. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. On the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
1: Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. Game hotline is 706-011. 706-0111 on this Thursday. Well, Mr. Tom brought up an interesting concept because I've often thought, and, and again, I don't, I'm, I am asking more than I'm saying because I don't I don't gamble, so I don't understand a lot of the intricacies of it. But I've often thought like over the last 10 years say the punks have won a lot of games. So if I just bet the punks to win every day over the last 10 years, I'm going to make money, right? Or am I not
2: miss or am I missing the, something? Here? There's a lot of there's a lot of you'll see some betting nuggets that'll come up that are similar to that. Like if you'd have just bet on this situation every like if you'd have bet Uh, A certain guy to get a hit every day, you know, you'd be a plus this many dollars over the time. So, yes, but it wouldn't be as clear cut as them betting them to win every day because they have baked in odds all the time that are working against them with their money line numbers because they're favorites so often. So you wouldn't, it wouldn't be as simple as like doubling your money every time they win and, and, you know, having it every time they lose.
1: Like this guy, and we haven't talked about it because I think it's too early to
2: talk about but Luis Arise, well, also he went about zero for nine in his last three games. So he's oh, he did. Like, he's in the three seventies now. Yeah. So, but like, morning. if someone, like, if you just could you bet like for him to get a hit every day, like you just said, I, I think you could. It, I, and again, I don't, I don't think all sports books operate the same way. But I think in certain situations, you can, you could do something like that. Um, I don't know if it's always if it would always be an option for you, like depending on if the team was prominent or not, but. I, I like we- to
1: get odds on the, on um like a parlay the Astros second baseman and center fielder for doing something goofy and every time they do something oh, goofy yeah. I could win money can you do that
2: <laughs> I don't think so
1: <laughs> I don't I, I mean I don't think like that but like he like in other words
2: there's a safe way to do it yeah, hedging, I guess, is kind of the term. I or, or, I don't know. I don't know if that would be the appropriate term there. But um, yeah, putting money in different pools. I don't know if what he said. Again, I think that all depends on the odds that are available at the time. And, and like, I don't know enough about it, kind of like you, to give a firm opinion on it. But um what I do know about sports like they typically find a way to know that the odds are not going to be in your favor so I don't know if it would exactly yeah work it seems like you,
1: it's one of those deals where no matter how you slice it you're not going to win all that often
2: and if you did it would probably be a very marginal minimal amount because of how much risk you have like again the seven bets you placed on all the teams that didn't win you wouldn't get any payout from so i, I anyway I don't know
1: just an interesting concept but it's, there's got to be somebody that does that—that that picks a team at the beginning of the season in Major League Baseball and bets them every day. I mean, it's got to—I would think—but I, I don't—I don't know how that would come out. All right, so um, we talked a little college football coaches uh, in week two of our Footnote Summer Project, and I want to talk about some of the one we talked about some of the underrated ones, and I think we picked some good ones. I got one more. Oh one more, okay. I'm Chris listening. Peterson. I'm sorry, Chris Peterson. Uh, I'm not as high on him, but go ahead.
2: Yeah, so I you know and I had a couple layers to this. I do think there is a misconception about Chris Peterson's dynasty, so to speak, in within the Mountain West at Boise State because he didn't begin that. Dan Hawkins kind of started that with uh, and even Dirk Cutter before that um, when Boise State's football program started being so good uh dirt cutter had a couple 10 win seasons hawkins then took them they had 12 13 and 11 wins back to back to back before taking a dip peterson takes over and goes 13 and 0 in his first year but then it's i mean it really is an unbelievable run they win double digit games for the next seven straight seasons uh he actually has a not so great year in his final year there um, but then he goes to washington and has tremendous success there brings them to three straight new Year's six bowl games so I think the ability to do it at both Boise State and Washington, another guy who doesn't and isn't as popular around here, obviously because he did it in the West Coast and in the Midwest and in Boise and and then up in Washington. Um, but, but what he did with Washington I think was pretty impressive. And, of course, he retired kind of early and just kind of was one of those guys who said he was burnt out from being a college football coach and everything that, that that entails. I think a lot of people have wondered if he would get back into it at some point. But um, I think just a little bit of underappreciated the consistent – dominance. I think there.
1: I think I think that's fair. I I I definitely do. Um you know there are a couple guys that later went on to the were known more as NFL guys. Now I don't I wouldn't put them necessarily in a in a Chris Peterson category, but that that were coaches and had tremendous success And we know them as NFL guys, but if you look at their college, Don Coryell, Air Coryell, he didn't coach in college long, but his record was—he coached at San Diego State, like just like the Chargers, where he was the coach. His record was one twenty-seven and (laughs) twenty-four, like. You know, he, he wasn't, like, winning national championships at San Diego State, but won a lot of games. Sid Gilliam, who's known as this offensive genius guy from the AFL era, he was 81-19 and 19 as a college football coach. So it's just funny how, you know, we don't even think about those guys as college football coaches. But they had incredible runs. And, you know, more, way more famously, Jimmy Johnson's another one, known – to a lot of people as an NFL coach because he coached in the NFL so long. But he was 81-34 and and coached at Oklahoma State in in Miami and won a lot of games and coached some great teams. I don't know where you put those kind of guys in an overall list. Um, The other guy that I really struggle with, not necessarily that you like him because he's not real likable for a lot of people, and I get that. How do you where do you put Steve Spurrier historically?
2: Yeah, no, he's he's somewhat of a similar guy in comparison to some of the ones that we talked about earlier in, in Bill Snyder and and um Frank Beamer, but a little bit different perspective on the types of it's in the SEC too. So I think we all we automatically think differently about SEC coaches. Um but I mean he's he's certainly up there and again is another guy I wonder if the way it ended changes people's perceptions of it. Right,
1: because well. like he he earned really good marks for winning at a program that was in a football school early on in his career, and then he went to a, you know, Florida. When I grew up, Florida was good, but they weren't like USC, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. Good. They they were okay. Like. You know, they had some good teams, but they weren't like a mega powerhouse. And so he kind of made them a mega powerhouse. So I give him some credit for that. But then South Carolina, he just was never able to turn the corner there. So I don't really know. But I still was 228-89 with multiple national championships.
2: Yeah, and South Carolina, he did. I mean, the three straight 11 win seasons – I think the the big thing there is none of those they never made it to the big time bowl games. It was two Capital One Bowls and an Outback Bowl which, you know, are not bottom tier, but they never got to a Sugar or uh, you know, anything like that, which is kind of surprising even given when you look at the fact that they were consistently winning double digit games in that stretch. Um but yeah, and then it obviously it ended rough at South Carolina and I but I and so I always think like even Urban Meyer right now has got a different there's he never had a downward trajectory as a college coach. Now his NFL thing is a different story. Yeah, but that somewhat could be the same about Chris Peterson. He doesn't have this downward spiral. Um, Frank Beamer kind of had it, right? Like kind of had it, it. It didn't get horrible there, but it got not great at the end. And Steve Spurrier, I mean, ultimately, what he got fired, right? So that 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 changes the overall kind of legacy there. Do you put
1: Bob Stoops ahead of both of those guys? Beamer and, and Spurrier, where do you put him? I think he's I think he's right there. I think he's
2: slightly ahead of him. He didn't win as many games, but he didn't lose as many games as Spurrier either. Right. And some of Spurrier's, I mean, you know, another thing too. That's that's why with Chris Peterson's record overall, like his first ever year as a head coach, he went thirteen and zero. So some of these coaches have years at the beginning where they lost eight nine games, and I think you you take a look at overall records. And that can sometimes be skewed, where you talk about as many losses. But yeah, there was a there was a run there with Spurrier. They never lost more than four games while he's at Florida, so he was consistently really, really, really good.
1: The other thing I think that's fascinating, and it, it's you want to talk about, you know, we're going into la la land. Something that we'll never know what would happen. Is it's always been fascinating to me. What a great coach! Like Eddie Robinson would have done. I mean, have you ever thought about Eddie Robinson and everything he had to do just to field a team? Like if he coached at one of these, you know, power five programs today, coach, you don't have to. You don't have to line the field, coach. You, someone else will do that. Like, like everything that he had to do. In addition to being a football coach and, and X's and O's and actually practice preparation um, I, I, I he might not have know what to he probably wouldn't know what to do with himself for one, but um it's fascinating to to just think about what what, what, what he would do. What about Paterno?
2: Well, Paterno, I almost mentioned that when I was talking about the ending, of course, souring the, the oh, legacy yeah, and I, and I mean that was now that's different, that's not what we're talking about with Spurrier where it, you know, the on-the-field product suffered at the end or Beamer where the on-the-field product suffered at the end. Obviously, it's completely related to stuff that happened off the field, but um that's a similar thing, right? I just don't think we'll ever view him in the same the conversation'll never be what it would have been if none of that stuff went down, right? About him. And I think now that's also interesting because even before all that stuff he was already this kind of larger than life like historic figure while he was still coaching. Yeah. And you have a little bit of that with Bill Snyder cuz like the stadium was named after him when he was back coaching in it. But um yeah, I don't know. I have a hard time just thinking about but when you just look at on the field, right? I mean, he he's easily in the top of the list. He's right right up at near the top. Now that we have NIL and all of this stuff and
1: again, this is more like the Don Coryell example that I gave earlier. Pete Carroll was eighty-three and eighteen as a coach in college football. Now that everything that kind of put a asterisk next to his name is now legal, does that change anybody's perception of him?
2: And he also gets a different. Kind of view from some of these guys because he went and was successful in the NFL and a lot of these guys that were great college coaches but didn't work in the NFL. Now he's the opposite end of that. He was really good in college and went to the NFL and was really good in the NFL and and really still is in my opinion. Yeah. So I mean, what he what they did last year? Oh yeah. Now
1: I think I think maybe what they did was not as good as we thought because we didn't realize that maybe Russell Wilson was not what we quite thought he was, you know, his line at the end there. And they, you know, they kind of knew more than we did, but very, very fascinating. All right, we'll take a timeout and be back.
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the EVCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
1: Ooh, welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. 706 If you would like to get in, 706-0111. We don't often talk about, we talk about some, but we don't talk a lot about major league games just yet. But there's one that I would think quite a few people, especially our friend Dawson here, who just loves the little MVPs, is going to be very interested in tonight. 705. It's televised nationally on FS1. The little MVPs against the Rangers. The pitching matchup is Shohei Ohtani against Nathan Ubaldi, who, as of right now, I think would win the Cy Young in the American League. A lot of people may not realize that, the kind of year he's had. He's having an unbelievable year.
2: Did you see the ball Shohei hit in the ninth inning last night? I did not see it. It was, like, still rising when it hit the – and, like, if it hit – if a person would have been there, I don't know if they'd have made it through. It hit the back of a seat, and it, like – I can't believe the seat's still there. <laughs>
1: In right, he pulled it? No, left center. Oh, left center? Yeah. Wow. That, that's impressive. No, he's, he, he, he's, he's got some skills.
2: No, that's what I... Uh, Ray Ray asked me in the morning if I thought the Astros were going to trade for a piece, and I said there's this up-and-coming Japanese prospect that could kind of hit and pitch that they could <laughs> trade for. But by the way, Bob Nightingale, who we had on, also <coughs> firmly said there's no chance the Angels trade him. And he mentioned... The fact that he just makes them so much money as an organization with all the revenue he brings in from advertisements and things like that. So, so it's just worth for a half a season
1: to make all that money
2: and then get nothing for him. I, I don't know. I I think, again, though, not only that, though, they're still you in contention. Playoffs, remember. What do you do? Right, I, but they're 30. What do I mean, you they're, they're right in the thick of it, right? Yeah, they, but they've put on a good run, so I think it's Nobody's just... Nobody's in the thick of any... Well, everyone's in the thick of it right now. Yeah, but not... everyone. But I think there's a clear cut right now in the American League. You know you have to be. If you're where Toronto is and where the Yankees are and where the Astros are and where the Angels are, those are the teams that are in it. And I think like anybody else. I, now, the difference is that everybody in the AL Central's in it because they could win the division. But I don't think any of those teams have a shot at the wild card, and I think they know that. If, so I don't the, think if, everyone's in it, no. If the White Sox tank
1: because they've had a, gotten off to an awful start then they might not be out of it. But I'm telling you, the White Sox have the pitching and the hitting to to get to the postseason. And right now they're nine out. But now they might get angry and, and tank. If they tank, then they won't do it. But the White Sox have underachieved. They have the pitching and the hitting to do it. And they're nine out. Cleveland definitely does unless they just decide to give up. Seattle definitely does. Boston's only five out. Five! We're in June! They're five out! That's nothing. Like, the only teams that I think are probably out of it are the Royals, the A's, and maybe the Tigers. No one else is out of it. Really.
2: You're telling me if you're five out in June, you're out of it. No, I'm not saying you're out of it, but I'm saying the Angels are firmly in it, and they're not going to trade that away and miss out on what could have been with this, this thing they have with Shohei Otani. Like again this is a, this is different from having like a Justin Verlander last season down the stretch and you're going well we're probably out of it he's a veteran guy let's just try and get what we can for him like this is a franchise changing piece that again the 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 price they would get for him wouldn't even be a full price because it would be at a discounted rental rate and I just don't think that it's now worth it. again I get that
1: um, No I I'm just wondering what are they going to do as an organization if they don't make the playoffs, which I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, and, and then he just goes to the punks for $600 million.
2: Then my approach would be trade Trout and start over if that's what happens. But they'll be able to make that decision. The only way I think they get
1: in is if, you know, if you believe in conspiracies, which I don't believe in. Like, like baseball just really want, like baseball wants him to make the playoff, them to make the playoffs in the worst way possible. But they're not like bad. Like, if they're
2: ever going to cheat, this is the opportunity to do it. They really do have some pieces, though. And they're not bad. And I don't think they're as they're bad. Not now, if, look, they're not terrible. Look, if Rendon is, becomes, you know, first of all, if he gets back on the field, which he is now, he's healthy again. He's starting in my fantasy team. So we'll, let, well, we'll see if that works out, but. If you get Rendon back, and he's somewhat of the player he used to be, the lineup's pretty good, as we've discussed. And now with Otani at the top of the rotation, Reed Detmers, they have a couple other guys, Patrick Sandoval. Like They have some guys. So, oh, No, they're not terrible. I'm not saying they're terrible. I'm saying I don't think it's like this far-fetched idea that they could make the wild cards. Like, I don't think that's really out there at all. Again, look, if the Astros keep having the injury concerns they have and the Yankees have the concerns they have, like – I think the Angels have just as much a chance as those teams do to win the wild card. I really do. And, and again, now there's extra spots. So, like, you don't have to be the next best team outside of the division winners.
1: The man loves the little
2: MVPs. It's so
1: funny. It's just bizarre to me to love the little MVPs that much. I'm just, I just telling you. No,
2: I just want to see Trout and Otani on that stage, and I'd like to see the I'm investment. Not, I know. I agree. I'm just not so sure –
1: Unless they taint that they have a better chance of making the playoffs, in the I think the White Sox have a better chance in them.
2: I would, I would, if if we were betting on that, I would take the Angels (laughs) over the White Sox. I just, I'm telling, I just, I,
1: I cannot believe how bad Seattle's playing. I do not believe they're going to do this for the rest of the year. I just do not believe that. But if I was a fan of the little MVPs, I think I would want to trade them. But I do get the point that you're not going to get that much for him. Like, they might be saying, just the publicity he gives us and all the money you make for him is not worth the pretty good haul you're going to get. But, man, if you don't resign him, I mean, your franchise is in trouble at that point. Like, you're almost having to start I just – I'm not into starting over. I just don't like that. We did it. I mean (laughs) – I mean, you get through it. Yeah, I mean, you get through it. I'm you know, I was a fan and I wanted to I wanted to win every game and I didn't stop. I get it. I just oh, man, I would be Of course, again, if you if all you're in it to do is watch one player be this great player and go, Ooh, where he's gonna win the MVP, I guess. I mean I'm in the You're the win. one who
2: wants to win every game, but you want the Angels to just trade their best player and not win any games. And you said if you were a fan, you would want them to trade their way and not win any games. I mean, I don't know. I, I
1: think I would rather them trade them and try. And Now, again, unless I get – if I get if – let's just say. If I could guarantee you, which you can't do. We're just talking hypothetically here. If I can guarantee you that I could get two starting pitchers – that would help me win next season, like guys that would be in the starting rotation, that's not worth it to set up your your rotation for the future when you've had no pitching for the last decade. That's not worth it. To not make the playoffs, just to make money? Again, I understand it's a money-making business, but right where you but are, that's, that's so not worth it. But that's so
2: subjective of saying who those guys are going to be and that you could get that and that those guys would be in your rotation. I mean, if, yeah, if you look, if they want to trade you, if they, if, if they want to put a package together that's a three-team trade that includes Zach Gallon and Nathan Evaldi, then sure, take it. But, like, I I don't, you know, I don't think you're going to – who's going to give you two legit frontline starters
1: – I'm not saying superstars. I'm saying guys that you think are going to be in your rotation for the next
2: five well, or six again, years. Well, again, the Angels' rotation is actually a lot better now than it's been in a long time. They certainly could use a couple more guys, yes, but I don't know. That's Again, when you trade them away, you're you're saying you get two, but you're taking one out plus a hit. You're basically trading away two players. So you have to get, in my opinion, you have to get back more than two players. You have to get... More than just two guys. No, I'm productive not saying guys. I know that wouldn't you're not getting trade. just those yeah. two pitchers,
1: but yeah, other part of the package yes. would be two guys are going to be in my rotation. I believe are going to be in
2: my rotation. I think that's another reason it'd be so hard to trade him. His value is different than any guy you've ever traded well, before. All of that is two true. Players. All
1: of that is absolutely true. I, oh, man. Again, I'm not trying to get him to Houston. I'm just saying if I'm the little MVPs... I. I just don't think not, I, I don't enjoy not making the playoffs for that long. I don't know why they enjoy it so much, but they seem to. We'll take a timeout and be back.
0: This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do you ever wonder what kind of coach Foot would have been? When they hit it
1: to you and you're in the major leagues, you
0: catch the ball. That's the way that works. Yeah, he may be better suited for talking sports than coaching them. Back to footnotes. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
1: Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot, on the game. Kind of looking at these coaches. One of the things that came to my mind: I wonder if there's any chance that Ned Yost, who I think is one of the funniest names ever, Ned Yost is related to Fielding Yost. I wonder if I'm gonna have to look that up. I wonder if anyone in our listening audience has ever thought that in their whole life.
2: I have not, so I can't help you there. <laughs>
1: Ned Yost and Fielding Yost. I tell you what, Ned Yost. They I don't know if was I guess Ned Yost was this bad with some of his Royals teams, but man, they are really bad. They lost again last night. By the way, the A's little win streak ended. I know, but they battled.
2: They, battled. they battled. No, they tried. played well. Yeah. It
1: wasn't a bad performance at all. They definitely did. And uh, it's actually a, it's a four game series. They play again today, but no, that would be kind of um, man. I if you're a royal fan right now, like where where another one, like where are they going, Some of these organizations
2: they gotta figure out what they're gonna do, yeah, they're awful, yeah, they got too nice of uniforms to be that bad yes um, by the way, the u s open got underway for all the talk, it's oh, it's great weather, it's not u s open because it's great weather, it's like really cloudy and ugly in Los Angeles this morning, and um not like not this sunny, beautiful day that you know, and they're still making too many birdies still, um so i Originally, yeah, and I told you that off air, I think. A lot of that was because the first, and I forgot, the first hole's a par five, so a lot of guys are birdieing one, but we haven't seen, there's only a couple guys that have gotten out further than that. Um, Wu is two under, and the amateur Morales is three under through eight holes. So an amateur currently leading the U.S. Open by a full shot, two shots ahead of third place.
1: And from what I heard, there's a lot of long par three, someone said.
2: Yeah, there's uh, two of them that are 284 yards or more. Uh, one of them, 290. So that's insane. Um, and not even something even in U.S. Opens that you usually see. In addition to that, there's both ends of it. There's a par 3 that is one of the shortest in the history of golf. And depending on tee placement and pin placement, could play as short as 78 yards this week. And it's got what? two bunkers that guard. And a, and a basically a landing spot if it, if the pin's right there where it's like, I mean, almost an impossible shot. So even though it's one of the shorter holes ever, it's actually going to be very
1: difficult. Very difícil. All right, so, you know, again, I, I've, I've had the argument with people, and I think golfers probably would be on my side when I hear something like that. Like a lot of – some people don't like the fact that baseball parks are all different. Like they want them to be more like basketball and football where everybody essentially plays on the same field. I think it's cool. And I think go- like golf course, if you're a golfer, then you have to side with me on that issue.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, well, in golf, it's impossible to make two the same, right? But I think I love Tows Hill, too. I wish it never went away. But
1: you wouldn't want them to be the same.
2: No. Yeah, right. Exactly.
1: Yeah, It'd be boring yes. if all the courses were the same, just like if all the baseball parks were the same. So we'll see what happens um, on there. So um, I don't know if you're an Astro fan. I guess you got to pull for the little MVPs. I mean, it's kind of, I don't ever really pull for either team, the little MVPs or the Rangers. Um, The Astros are now, even though they really haven't played that well and they're kind of beat up, the the Rangers haven't been winning a whole lot either. And so the Astros are only three and a half back. So I guess if the Astros can win, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Hopefully, Javier pitches better than he did. Last his his last out, he had been pitching really well. His last outing was was pas bon. Um, they've got to. Uh, he only went five innings, and they had to pull him because he was getting lit by the by the Guardians lineup, which is one of the worst in baseball. Um, you know, I guess if if the Astros could win and the little MVPs could win, and they're only two and a half back, you know, I guess that's what I'd have to pull for today, and and it could happen. Um the bottom line is though, no one's been hitting the ball day. I mean, no one. Like, he's had a strange career. I mean, I remember that the Astros hit like three home runs off of him once in an inning, I think it was. And 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 yet now he's like this dominant pitcher. It's way too early to talk about Cy Young's, but again, Man. if the season ended today, I think he'd win the Cy Young's. So he was it'll a be interesting. To see how they
2: stretch, it is, it has been a weird career. Do I? He was a reliever at a certain time. Yeah, oh, yeah, closer, he's had a stranger. Then...
1: He's one of those guys that on any given day could be completely dominant, but you just never know what you're going to get on. But he's, put, he's done well this year. All right, y'all have a nice day.